0: They say poker is a hard way to make an easy living. This is the podcast about people that make poker work for them. This is Midstakes Living. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Midstakes Living. Derek here, along with my co-host Matt. How are you doing, Matt? I'm doing very well,
1: Derek. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing great. Uh, we are... Recording this a little different this time, We uh, I usually do this from home, but we thought since I was heading to Vegas for the World Series of Poker, we would actually delay this episode just a little bit and try to get somebody um, from out here in Vegas at the World Series to uh, to jump on the show with us, and I'm very happy to be able to uh, to have Ari Engel on the show. How are you doing, Ari? I'm doing great. Hey. Thanks for, uh, thanks for jumping on the show. I know it's busy. Uh, I'm sure you're playing almost every day, so we appreciate you taking a little bit of time out to, to talk with us. I
2: appreciate someone wanting to talk to me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> cool. Well, I guess a good, uh, a pretty good place to start since we are, I guess, what about twelve days into into the World Series? Is how, how is it going so far in the, in Vegas? Uh,
2: so far, it's going uh, really bad. I haven't cashed in <laughs> in the tournament, so like, poker-wise, <laughs> it's going bad. But um, I'm fine. You know, I'm pretty used to losing at this stage after you know eight years of full time MTT play.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I'll you yeah. out there for you out there for the whole series.
2: Yeah, I'm out. I'm out here for the whole series. It's probably uh, my seventh World
1: Series and fifth and fifth one being out here for the whole time. Wow. Okay, it's pretty intense then. It must be. A, it must be kind of a a long grind for you in terms of endurance. Like you must have to you know make sure you get the sleep and everything.
2: Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm not at all like a party person or anything like that. Uh, it's it's very different now post Black Friday because before Black Friday, I would just I would come to Vegas all summer and then I would play not very many tournaments and i would just you know play online tournaments right um, but uh yeah now it's like the live grind full on but that's really what i do all year now or at least for like the last year and a half so it's just this is what i'm doing all the time really
1: okay so you'll you're pretty much exclusively playing live poker these days then yeah
2: i mean i I'm, I'm not saying that for the future but the last 18 months i've played uh probably like 85% live and 15% online
1: Okay, cool. So how are you finding that so far?
2: Um so far it's yeah, I mean it's it's good. It's uh you know, I like online better, uh but I like going back and forth between the two. And uh-huh. um you know, I probably will never do as extreme of a, you know, full live schedule as I've done uh too often again in the future. Um but I like, you know, it's definitely been like something different, you know, because I just basically played online full time for so long. Um, so it's good to mix up, you know, and uh, like I play some different games for the same reason to mix up, even though it might not be maximizing my hourly rate per se. Um, mm-hmm. So that's the way I look at live poker also.
1: OK, yeah, that's fair enough. I mean, I think uh, one of the interesting things about having having someone on the podcast who plays mostly live poker these days, you know, we've talked to a lot of online guys recently. And uh, I'm kind of curious. Obviously, obviously, you mentioned before uh, before Black Friday, um, you you were playing a bunch of online. You you go to the series and grind online a lot. Um, I'm curious if there's any sort of changes in your in your lifestyle and the way you approach the game as as a pro after so long in the game, having made that transition from playing mostly online to mostly live.
2: Um, well, I've always been like a a big grinder and not like played the highest stakes and just and you know like played. I I never I didn't play a lot of tables online, so I wasn't like in that sense, volume, but I played a lot of time. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it's, like, it's way different uh, playing live where there's really, like, one. usually when, you know, in the World Series, it's a little different because there's a lot of different options and different places running. But normally throughout the year, if you bust in the noon tournament wherever you're at, um, you there's no more tournaments left to play. So it's just, you know, it's, it's different in that sense. Right. Uh, and and you know traveling is like way different than just being in your own room and all the comforts of home and all that.
0: Mm-hmm. For sure, uh, Ari, I'm curious about your um, your setup here in Vegas. Like, do you live in the hotel? Do you rent a house with buddies?
2: Yeah, I mean, I bought a house in Vegas pre Black Friday, and um, then you know after Black Friday, I found myself not here very often, so I ended up renting that out. So that's rented out all year. Um, so in the past I've always stayed there this year is the first time in a while. I'm just renting a different house, uh, with, a, with another good, like former online now live player, Bukowski 101 Kevin McColgan.
0: Okay. And do you find that's like, I'm sure. Cause when you do the circuit events and stuff, obviously you're mostly doing the, the hotel lifestyle. I yeah. assume you find the house to be way more plus EV.
2: Um, yeah, I, uh, yeah. excuse me. Um, I, uh, I, it's different. I mean, there's, there's a lot to be said about being on premises and just like being able to go to your room and dinner break. And, uh, when, if you bust like maybe take a nap or something like that and then go back, back and play cash games or something like that. So I really enjoy, um, being if it's possible, like right on premises, but for the summer and like, I don't know, I've never done that like for six, seven weeks in one place. Uh, and um so yeah i the, the house i i enjoy to some extent but the commute is a nightmare for me i'm i really hate like at 2 a.m i mean i haven't had any too many 2 a.m.s this year unfortunately but
0: <laughs> i hate uh
2: the late driving
0: yeah that part can be a little brutal
2: yeah I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a really bad driver to begin with so uh when you get when you get me after 12 hours of poker i'm just the worst driver i'm super
1: dangerous <laughs> <laughs> I suppose the the paradox of um, the paradox of those long grinds. is kind of like the the same as playing like a scoop or a W cube series online. Is that the, the the deeper you go in in certain tournaments, the the longer you stay up, and the more it messes with your sleep cycle. So do you uh, do you have to put special effort in to sort of manage your your sleep pattern, or do, are you one of those guys who can just wake up after four hours sleep and get on the grind again?
2: Yeah, no, I mean uh, that's that's definitely a hard thing for me because online I would. A lot of times, especially like in the later years, I would um, just have a really erratic sleep schedule. So, you know, one day I would wake up to grind at 9 a.m. and then, you know, stop in the afternoon and take a nap and then start back up at night. Um, And I would just I'd be, you know, I'd just be really well rested. And I'm a I'm a I'm a really good sleeper and I enjoy my sleep and all that. Um, so like live, it's a lot more re- regimented because you got to play the noon tournament the next day, so mm-hmm. it, it messes with me. And also like I go to sleep really early and I wake up really early as a general rule, so um, yeah. I mean I'm just not my my sleep and all that is not super well uh, well suited for live. I mean I'm just mm-hmm. at at playing playing like after 11 p.m. my you know, I'm a way worse player at that
1: time. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. So, um, so going back to the, I guess going back to the very beginning, you, you mentioned before you've been a, you've been an MTT pro for, uh, you know, six, six, seven years now. I think you said. Um. So how did you, how did you first get into poker, and how did it become something you, you thought you'd consider doing something, doing full time?
2: Um. I uh, when I was in college, um, I went to NYU, and I just got randomly placed with a guy named Andrew Brown. His online screen name is Brown Dog 19 He uh, he has, you know, he has numerous successes, like including a World Series of Poker Bracelet, uh, second in the 10K PLO, uh, played like wow. high stake cash, you know, maybe a dozen F-Tops final tables, etc. cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he, at the time, uh, was just like, he was playing all the time. And this was, I think it was 2003, right, uh, it was right around the time of Moneymaker. I don't know if it was a little before or a little bit after. Um I think yeah, I think it was the summer after is when I became his roommate. Uh so he went in the summer and then that following year I was his roommate and he would just play all the time. And um I watched him I, I didn't play for three months. I just uh you know, I was his roommate and my roommate just happened to be a guy that played tons of online poker. Eventually I got into it and started playing. Um I didn't make a ton of money at first, and I graduated school and got a job, and kind of stopped playing online. Um, and then uh, I would just play like I would play in a weekly home game, and my friends told me about a new site, Bodog, and I decided they're like a super soft. You got to deposit it on it uh, after work one night. I deposited, uh, and I just played for the next three days and. My 150 deposit was like into 10,000 dollars by the end of it. Wow. <laughs> and, yeah, and I'd, I'd maybe won definitely less than a thousand bucks uh, net before that before that time. And I don't really know what got into me. All of a sudden, I was winning re- a lot, and um, I proceeded to quit my job shortly after that, and I just played Bodog cash games for like two years, maybe uh mm-hmm. after after some time maybe after a year or so um Bodog contacted me and said uh you know you're winning at a really good rate on our site uh we want you to go and represent us at the world series of poker and you can play the main event on our dime wow
1: that's pretty <laughs> yeah. that's special that's a one-time
2: offer for sure <laughs> yeah yeah and uh yeah so i brought i brought along two friends with me to like poker friends, and uh, they, they put me up in the Rio for eight, nine days, paid for the flight, and um, and I proceeded to bust the main event in like four hours, <laughs> <laughs> and that's really hard to do. I don't know, for those of the listeners that haven't played the main event, it, there's no tournament like it in the sense that it's so deep st- stacked and deep structured, and very few people, it's not like a normal tournament where... It, Busting in the first four hours is completely reasonable. It's very yeah. unreasonable to bust in the first four hours of the main event. I haven't
1: played it before, but don't you start with like thirty k at fifty one hundred or something? Yeah, and it's two yeah, hours. That's, that's a gazillion big blinds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's pretty insane. How, how how was your bust out hand? Was it some big cooler or did you just no? Up? I don't I I don't
2: remember it at all. But I'm sure it was not some big cooler. I just played like a complete monkey, and
1: uh, <laughs> sometimes it worked out and sometimes it didn't. <laughs> Fair enough so uh, so how did you go from how did you go from being um a guy who played mostly on you know you mentioned cash games on on Bodog? How did you make the transition into MPTs and how was that something you decided to to sort of go for
2: uh so yeah, at that World Series, you know I met a couple of agents and Bodog showed me this and that, and they had a big party and it was you know it was two thousand and four so you know everything the poker boom was in full fledged everything the future was so bright and yeah. I mean I think a lot of us um and still do to some extent but uh really everyone's wanted to get a poker sponsorship and mm-hmm. um and I realized that poker sponsorships aren't really given to cash game players so um I uh you know that was that was a big thing um I just like it seemed to me at that time and you know I probably was not uh correct but it seemed to me like poker tournaments were like the big bright future and they were getting bigger and bigger every year and they have gotten you know way bigger um Mm -hmm. so i i just started playing more and more tournaments over time and at the beginning i was mixing cash and tournaments online and um it it was hard for i've never been a good multi-tabler it was very hard for me to focus on both and um for whatever reason, the tour, i guess I probably like won a tournament and got excited about tournaments or something, you know. And the tournaments ended up winning out, and I, w- I started playing more and more uh, hours in tournaments and less and less hours in cash games. Uh, right. And at the same time, you know, the cash games were getting tougher and tougher, uh, you know, over the years. So, you know, I, I just didn't really get excited about cash games again until post Black Friday. And you know, now live I have to play some cash, and I kind of enjoy it. Uh, but it, it's you know it's really different playing single table live and against you know all these mass multi tabling hot experts
1: online. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see. I see. So how was the? Um, you, you said it was 2004, was it when you when you got that Bodog sponsorship? So how what did the poker world look like back then? Because I mean I only came around in 2009 or so, so I have no clue what that must have been like. Uh,
2: it was really good if you uh, if you could two bet a lot if you just open pots. Uh, right. That was that was the big secret to success back then,
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, which, is, which is
1: somewhat of a basic idea right now. So yeah, yeah. that's kind of interesting.
2: Yeah, yeah. So um, exactly, and um, it was it was great. I uh, I guess I was two betting a lot back then, and I was a little bit ahead of the time in that sense. And um, I proceeded to immediately like I won the bodug tournament leaderboard for the year and I had only I only played like five months in the site um I shot up the rankings on pocket fives and I eventually was ranked number one for a little bit uh you know my second tournament ever on PokerStars was 100 rebuy I got second in it and just the tournaments were just like you know it was it was really good back then I was I was winning at a really good rate and uh just ran good immediately so like
1: I got excited about tournaments Mm-hmm. yeah that, that makes perfect sense you know and so how how did things sort of change for you as as the game started to grow more and more like obviously with the advent of poker stars as as the kind of big name in 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 uh online poker and obviously in mtt's as well like how did that sort of change your routine and change your lifestyle as a pro
2: yeah i mean uh as uh as the years have progressed i have i feel like i've gotten a lot better also and i've worked on my game i I've been a member of TPE a bunch in the past, and I actually just re-signed, re-signed up like a month or two ago. Um, and you know, I'm a member of training sites. I, I just, you know, I try and uh, I try and stay, you know, a step ahead or at least up to par with other people. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, you know, luckily enough, there's like there's there's almost no one from back then that uh, still grinds MTTs full time and is winning. So uh, I feel. I feel real good about the fact that I'm just even here and you know doing okay.
1: Yeah, I mean that's it's definitely a great achievement to be in the game for so long, just simply because so many people I feel, um, especially MTT players, I think people get they either get bored or they get um, they get very demotivated by big downswings or, or you know any any number of reasons they they tend to leave the game. So so what is it about your sort of passion for the game that's kept you kept you hung, hanging around for so long and and not sort of um, and not sort of led you to, to fall down the same route as some other people have and, and, and maybe just fall off or sort of go, go on to other things. Uh, you know, is there some sort of special motivation that you have to just sort of keep that grind going and uh, and keep your uh, keep your involvement in the game? Uh,
2: I'm not sure. I mean, I, I might venture to guess, like, things that, like, I'm rarely overconfident, so I oftentimes, you know, question myself and even, you know, like, people, like, the the feelings of greatness and and things like that that you get after a tournament a lot of people a lot of people hold on to those feelings forever um, and a lot of people lose it the first time they bust a tournament afterwards I'm I'm a lot closer to that second person so uh, you know you definitely you definitely you know get extra confidence by winning and things like that and confidence is very good uh, up to a point but I'm on I'm on the lower confidence uh side of the spectrum and I think that might have helped on my longevity uh, because I'm always you know I'm always not feeling confident so I always feel like I need to work harder um, to uh, to stay up to par
1: yeah I see that make that makes perfect sense that's really interesting so so do you do you find that 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 sort of lack of confidence I mean yeah just thinking from the perspective of, of how you how you like to keep learning do you do you feel like that uh, that's like a constant Constant thing, or does it go kind of ups and downs? Do you have periods where you feel like you need to take a break, or are you just kind of one of those guys who just works hard all year round?
2: I mean, I definitely feel like I, there's times I need to take a break. I mean, I I told myself about six seven years ago that uh, that I should only like I should only play when I actually feel like playing, and if I don't feel like playing that day, I, I shouldn't play. And mm-hmm. I made it and I made a commitment my, to myself to do that. I don't know if I've kept it perfectly. But um, I know that many times that I haven't felt like playing, I don't play, and then I wait about four or five hours, and then I get, and then I feel like playing again, so I play. Uh right. it, doesn't, it hasn't been like for me. It hasn't been that I've wanted to take a month break from poker. Uh, I've I've never felt
1: that way yet. Okay, so the the thing that springs to mind for me when he, when you mentioned that is is that that must be. Uh, I, th- I think it's a great approach to only play when you want to play because it certainly helps you play your best as, m- as often as possible. But I'm curious if you know during downswings obviously it's very easy when you're going through a bad patch to uh, to feel like you don't want to play. So how do you prevent yourself from falling into a pattern of, of sort of if things aren't going too well, you know, maybe you uh maybe you might start playing less and, and make it worse. So how do you avoid that?
2: Um you know, during downswings I try and focus as much as possible on the fact on on the history and you know, most of the times I try not to think about the past, but when I'm in a downswing I wanna say, Look, I've won a bunch of money doing this. I've beat out X and X situations and tournaments and all that. Um there's there's no reason to think that I'm not a winning player in whatever tournament I'm in. I should feel like just Re, if I, I try and be, in, I guess, as objective as possible about the situation, um, and I uh, and I and I drop. So you know, uh, when I'm when I'm feeling good and everything, you know, I'm always in the big 162. I might take a shot at you know a 50 rebuy or 100 rebuy every now and again. Um, but when I'm in a downswing, I'm way more likely to be in the big 22 instead of the big 162. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so uh, I'm yeah, I mean. It's not, you know, like again, you know, I'm only playing four tables, so uh, I'm able to really select uh, which tournaments I want to, and you know, so that's something I, you know, when I'm when things aren't as as uh, as good, you play in you know, higher ROI tournaments, and that's that's the way you make yourself feel good because if you have a really high high ROI in the tournament, it's great. Life is great. I mean, if you're running over people or or getting insane value or whatever it is, that's that's what's that's what makes poker fine also you know to me like i'd much rather play against weaker players
1: for sure i think that's i think that's something people people listening and probably be- benefit a lot from just that simple idea that if you are um if you're going through a downswing then there's no harm in there's no harm in dropping down i mean like for everyone out there listening and you know are is a guy who's been playing what 10 years now and you just talked about playing the big 22 so i'm sure there's a bunch of people out there who are probably surprised that you you know you're still playing in those kind of low-stake games but honestly i feel like that's the that's the kind of discipline that you need to have in order to succeed in the long term. So I think there's probably a big connection between you having the mindset of being able to to drop down when you need to and play those those low stakes, great value online tournaments, and and you still being being around in the game and being successful ten years on. So you know, I think I think that's a great mentality that a lot of people can take away from.
2: It definitely. Uh, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, but I think there's uh, it's it's a it's a two edged sword. You know, basically. Okay. I'm a super-knit uh, when it comes <laughs> to that. And um, in doing so, you know, I probably have had a lower expectation over the course of my career because mm-hmm. it's not like... If you can still show up and play good, there's no reason to drop down, you know? Yeah. Losing tournaments is what we do. That's, that's part of a, a, a winning formula in MTTs is losing eight, eight and a half times. I mean, there's no one that catches more than 20% of the time that's any good. Um, so you're going to, you just, you have to get used to it and you have to, uh, you know, uh, man up, I think is what the cool kids are calling it
1: nowadays. (laughs) Right. Yeah.
2: Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, I kind of have like a shortcut around that, but I'm sure it's held me down a fair amount. And, uh, you know, there's that there's a, like, I, yeah, I play a lot lower average binds than maybe I should be playing or or, you know, in order to be super comfortable. I don't know if that's a great thing, but it is what I do.
1: Yeah, I see. So you sort of see it as a trade-off between level of variance and your ultimate expectation, really, because you're you're sacrificing maybe uh, a little bit of EV in, in, in exchange for being a lot more confident that you're actually going to get the chance to actualize that EV. Does that make sense? Does that it, like a... And
2: also, uh, in order to minimize the chance of a big downswing, yeah. so, uh, like really those big downswings are really so devastating for your psyche and uh and confidence and game and you know a big downswing for someone like me could very likely mean the end of my career just from the sense that you know i don't have super high confidence coming in to coming in even after hitting you know a bunch of great scores and doing well so if i uh if i did have a big downswing especially you know earlier in my career it almost for
1: sure would have meant that i would have quit uh-huh and i think that's it's really interesting that you factor that into your decision making you factor in your knowledge of yourself and your knowledge that if you you know that if you go through a big downswing it's going to get a lot tougher for you than it might for some other people because of your naturally low confidence so it like i think in a way that that self awareness that you seem to have there is is something that that sort of has a double benefit for you because not only are you aware, able to to be self-aware enough to continue working on your game, but you're also aware enough to to sort of prevent those downswing problems before they happen, if that if that seems like. A, is that how you perceive it?
2: Oh, I mean, I think that's really well said. Yeah, that's exactly how I perceive it. Like, people in the live arena kind of, like, look at me as, like, a value hunter and, oh, like, you know, whatever tournament I'm going to has to have the highest value. But right. I don't consider it like that. I'm, I'm. I say I'm not someone to emulate. I'm a nit, you know. Like it's embarrassing. Someone like me is not someone to be proud of. Like it's a disease I have. It's okay. <laughs> whatever. I, I have to deal with it. But uh, it's the not news. like it's not the best thing. You should. Be, you should be looking to maximize your expectation. That's what you should be looking to do as a mm-hmm. poker player.
1: Right. I see. And I think. Um, I think the the curious thing about that is that uh, there are so many. There's so much so much in poker that's completely theoretical, you know, and there is so much that um, is, is ultimately, like, based around doing what is the best play in theoretical terms or in, in, in EB terms. And and for so many people out there who, I, I mean, I, I coach a lot of, of guys who are recreational players who don't have the chance in their life to get in, you know, long grinds of a 1,000 tournaments a month, you know, and a lot of those guys have the problem that they, they're subject to a lot of variance because they simply can't put in, as much volume as you need to in order to overcome variance of the games that they're playing, and and so I think the interesting perspective there is that these guys are having trouble dealing with a lot of the sort of theoretical EV that they're they're supposed to be getting, but in reality they're not actually making any money because they're not not able to put in enough volume to overcome that variance, and so I think that trade-off is useful for some people who might be at the beginning of their sort of poker journey uh, and looking to looking to put together a bankroll or looking to sort of develop their game. Because like you say, that that sort of consistent habit of, of managing to play in games that you're you're a big winner in and consistently, with, consistently win and consistently make money, that's going to develop your confidence and it's going to develop your bankroll instead of playing in some other games which you might have a great expectation in but which have a higher level of variance and, and might... You know, it might take you five years to reach the long run in, in those games, you know, uh, as opposed to a year if you played some, maybe some sit and goes or some, some lower variance, lower variance tournaments. So that's, that's probably another thing that a lot of people out there can take away from, uh, from what you yeah, said. I mean,
2: you just need to make sure that you realize that you're not maximizing, you know, sure. so I see. you, you I, like I'm doing the second best option because of my situation, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but just realize, okay, like, yeah, I'm going to play some sit and goes and stuff like that, but maybe, uh, you know but maybe down the road or if you're five tabling you know maybe you start off with you know a mix that's more heavily inclined to the lower variant lower variance a little less expectation but realize whenever i can go to the other side it'd be way better
1: uh-huh okay yeah. i see so so do you have plans to kind of uh to change your um change your perspective in the future or is this something that just it's works for you so you're sticking with it
2: no, I would I would like to change my perspective in the future and I would like to rid myself of uh of uh you know having like an unnecessary fear of downswing and losing and all that and uh I would like to increase my average buy and get out of my comfort zone but as we all know from uh poker and non-poker situations it's very hard to get out of your comfort zone and force yourself to do things uh, especially for me so, um, yeah, I, I don't like where I'm at, but uh, it's okay. I don't hate it, and uh, it's something that I'm working on. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah.
0: One, uh, one place where you haven't had any trouble uh, having success is on the uh, the circuit, uh, the WSOP circuit. How's uh, well, You've won six rings, right? Yeah. Wow. Which has got to be close to the most. It's, I, it's I, the third
2: most. Sure. There's one guy with eight and one guy with seven
0: okay yeah so that's that's pretty amazing can uh, can you talk a little bit about why you think you've had so much success on the circuit and maybe what's different between that and other live tournaments or online
2: i mean i uh i probably you know i played a fair amount of circuit events um uh, so in that sense I don't feel like my circuit results are that much different than uh than uh, than you know my online results or whatever or whatever it is um uh I, I probably had like a hundred dollar average buy-in online over the course of my career, and uh, that's you're playing when you're playing hundred dollar average buy-in tournaments online. You're just playing against a caliber of opposition that's so tough and so intense um, that when you go and play five hundred or eight hundred dollar average buy-in uh, live situation, uh, you're gonna be uh, you're gonna be feeling very confident. You're gonna be playing against. Uh, players that are at a lot lower average skill level um so uh yeah i mean obviously like i ran good to get the the wins instead of the eighth or the thirds or whatever it is compared to the deep runs but i think uh i think most online players in my situation that were playing you know that have a lot of experience and winning at a hundred dollar average buy-ins would would just come and do very well playing a uh, low buy-in live tournament
0: yeah not that we want them to show up, but no. <laughs> they, they they can stay online. I mean,
2: I uh,
1: let, let them all go play live, and I'll go back online. Yeah, there uh. you go. Well, everybody has their own little corner of the sky, don't they? It, there's you know, there's the live tournament grinders, there's the online Tony grinders, and then there's like the online cash guys, the online PLO guys. Everybody has their little domain, and but then when when people start crossing over, and you know, a guy comes from like high stakes cash and starts crushing high st- high stakes MTTs or something, all of everybody sort of start to panic a little bit and worry that there's going to be this, you know, this uh, influx of players from another game. So um, maybe you will see that. Maybe you'll see a bunch of guys grinding the circuit, and then you can just, like you say, move back online.
2: I mean, I think everyone plays some live MTTs. So you Mm -hmm. have everyone online has their specialties, but uh, live MTTs for, you know, we all started watching TV, and that's what was on, and I think people have an affinity for that. And, uh, you know, you had a guy like uh, WCG Ryder just won a bracelet yesterday. I mean... I, see, I didn't hear that. That's great. Wow. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's crazy. He's playing a 1K Turbo, and, you know, first place <laughs> isn't even a good day for him.
0: Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, oh, yeah.
2: And, like, you know, uh, you know, Vanessa Selfs was an online cash player, you know, but mm-hmm. everyone knows her now as a live tournament player. Um, yeah. I think... Uh, I think, yeah, I think... I think live MTTs just get people to come out. You know, not grind all the time, but uh, especially World Series
0: does. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of online, big online results, we would be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about the uh, the Scoop Low event that you recently won, or Chopped, Thanks. I guess we should say. Yeah, that was a pretty sick uh, result. Um, I mean, talk about running over 20,000 people and actually coming, coming away with a win. I mean, that had to be a, a pretty a, absurd feeling. Yeah,
2: that, that was insane. Uh, I've, you know, I've obviously never won any tournament, like even close to 20, it was 21,000 plus players, but, uh, um, yeah, I mean it was a hundred dollar tournament. So, uh, you know, the average skill level wasn't super intense. Um, I had been, I went up to uh, Toronto for all of scoop and, uh, I'd actually just been up a few weeks before, so I was beginning to start feeling a little comfortable again online and reading my HUD and all that, um, because you know I hadn't really played too much too much online for a while, um, but I still definitely was a little bit off with things. But uh, playing playing against that lower at lower buying you know caliber players uh, thing and running like God, um, yeah. Things just went my way, and it was a good two days.
0: Very cool. So even with the extra two hundred thousand plus dollars in your bankroll, you're, you're not yet comfortable moving up in stakes. <laughs>
2: yeah, to me, it was never a. Uh, it hasn't been a financial issue in a while. Uh, thank you know. Thankfully, I've done really well um, in poker, and uh, it's a confidence issue for me. Um, and I don't know. I just don't feel like playing in tournaments where I don't feel super confident. And I don't, yeah. I don't feel like selling tons and because I can, you know, that's what I've done in the past when I want to play big. I just sell a bunch and play for a lower percent of myself. But uh, I'd rather play a 1500, you know, World Series event for 100 percent of myself than a 5K for 30 percent of myself, it, you know, and you're kind of laying out the same amount of money.
1: Yeah, right. I think um I think a lot of people can can probably uh relate to that too because I think there's there's definitely an attraction to having 100% of your own action um in a lot of instances simply because it gives you more freedom to you know determine what you play and how and you don't have to worry about all the I mean there's a lot of hassle associated with transferring money around to everybody constantly and, and having multiple investors in, at different times and things like that. So so I'm sure I'm sure keeping 100% of your own action keeps it pretty simple for you, right?
2: Yeah, and also, I mean, I think that's another big thing that's uh, shaped my career. Um, outside of a very brief time for live tournaments only, um, I've never been in a makeup deal. So mm-hmm. I've, I've always had to, uh, you know, withstand the downswings on my own. Without, And I know makeup is still, like, really tough and uh, no one wants to go through high makeup situations. But uh, when it's your own money, that's, that's a different situation um so i think that also has played uh a large role in in you know the the playing low situation
0: sure mm-hmm. that makes sense um you mentioned earlier that uh the, the world series hasn't been particularly nice to you yet this summer but what what are the plans for the rest of the summer in terms of schedule and and everything else going on
2: so i came into the summer planning to play uh, most of the 1k and 1500 world series events and then uh Around that, you know, just play different events around town and sitting goes and cash. And uh, even though things haven't gone well, it's, you know, to me, two weeks live is not, you know, is, is nothing. So uh, I'm not letting that affect me, and uh, I, have, I have the same plans. Um, and hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully things will turn around. I mean, the, the, the sick thing with, with live MTTs are you take away the three or four best days of the year from, from
1: virtually anyone
2: and they're a losing player.
1: Uh, right. That, you know, That's exactly that it. Be- it tends to tends to be pretty brutal in that sense. You know, you take, you take that small proportion of the scores that every, that each, each really good player will make. You take away that. Yeah. I mean, you take away anyone's career best score. And in a lot of instances that their total profit is like, half oh, what it, what it would be otherwise, you know? So it's uh it gets pretty sick sometimes, but um, you, uh, yeah. It's, so it sounds like you have the the kind of experience to, to make sure that you just sort of keep up that grind and and don't let it get to you, you know. So um, so it seems like you're you know pretty well placed if you if you run good. I'm sure we'll all be able to to sort of rail you to a uh, some sort of deep run later in the summer, hopefully.
2: I hope
0: so. <laughs> Very cool. Before we depart, uh, any last minute pieces of advice for anybody who might be coming out to Vegas to play maybe their first World Series event or their first big live event? Like one one good tip.
2: Drink a lot of water. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's the one, that's
0: the one I need to follow.
2: <laughs> uh, d- you know, don't be intimidated by, by everything. It's just another tournament. Um, presumably you have tons of experience and you played a fair number of tournaments and just try and treat it like one more. Yep.
1: That's great it's advice. advice. Thanks like very it. much. Well, cheers for joining us. Sorry. I know you guys, you and Derek are both heading off to play a, play a tournament later today. So, uh, I'm just going to chill here and I guess you guys will, you guys will head off. So we'll wrap it up pretty shortly. Um, but thanks very much for coming on. It's been, been great talking to you. And I think, uh, there's a lot of points that a lot of people out there can learn from so so cheers for that. Thanks so much. Appreciate having
2: yeah. uh, appreciate being on.
0: Thanks. Ari. any place uh you want to plug in terms of where people can follow you online or anything like that?
2: Um real Ari Angle on Twitter. Uh that's probably the best place to follow me.
0: Is there cool. Is there a fake so.
1: Ari Engel? Do you have like an impersonator out there or
2: is <laughs> I it always of... get that. Yeah, the, the actual <laughs> uh the the name Ari Angle was taken. I've never seen any tweets by the account, but I couldn't get it when I try to sign up. Oh,
1: that's a bad beat. Someone stole your name.
0: Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So follow yeah. So follow Ari over at uh, Real Ari at, at, on Twitter and uh, see what he does the rest of the summer. And uh, thanks again for joining us, Ari. We really appreciate it. And we'll see. Uh, we'll see you guys all next time here on the next episode of Mid States Living. Bye bye.